afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome people to episode two of Damn You Football. A, well, every few weeks podcast uh, about football from one half of the Dude and the Monkey film podcast. Hello, I am your host, Mark Foster. I have no guests this week like I had last time. Uh, I will have guests at some point. I'm hoping that Ian will actually join me on a few of these. Um, but episode two is doing more transfer talk, I'm afraid, if that, if that bores you. Um, the fact is, we're in close season, so all that's kind of going on is this ridiculousness of transfers, and it's been a bit of a strange start to the transfer window, I suppose. It's only, as I speak now, nine days old, and it's starting to really kick into itself. So I'm going to chat a little bit about that. I'm also going to look at, at some of the impending rule changes that FIFA have been looking at or discussing um, in panels that they get to every few years and discuss what they could do to make football better. So I'm going to look at those. We've also got a couple of questions um, and there'll be general sort of football chit-chat along the way. So uh, since I last um, podcast, there's been a few kind of um, major developments, I suppose you'd say. Um, Best one to start with, I think, would be uh, Wayne Rooney today. Um, Ended his 13-year stint at Manchester United and went back to his boyhood club, as he keeps referring to it as, which I suppose it is, Everton. I... It's a, well, it's a funny move, really. It kind of, it makes sense in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways seems a little bit, who's it Who's it good for in the end? Is it good for Everton? Is it good for Manchester United? Is it good for Wayne Rooney, I suppose? In a lot of ways, it's good for, for all three of them, uh, I think it would be fair to say, in the sense that Everton seems to have got a bit of a coup uh, to offset the fact that they're going to be losing one of their, their best players um, with... Romelu Lukaku going the other way, which we'll I'll discuss um, shortly after we've discussed the, the, the Wayne Rooney um, leaving United. Uh, then also well, Manchester United are getting Wayne Rooney off the uh, wage bill. And, you know, I think he's one of the, the highest earners. Rumours are he's somewhere between 250000 and £300,000 a week, which is an awful lot for a player who, who didn't start that many games last season. And it's clear that Mourinho doesn't see him as being a star at that club. And I suppose you could argue that with Wayne Rooney, uh, his, his age now, I think, what is he, 31, 32? Uh, then, you know, 32 very early into next season. That you could argue that he's not really of the, the standard to be playing for uh, a club as, um, I suppose, in as many competitions and, and what will be vying for the Premier League and the Champions League. And, of course, you know, Mourinho might have a lot of faults and people might quite a lot of criticism at him, but he does take the cup seriously. So that there is that. Mourinho tries to win every trophy he's in from the Charity Shield to the Champions League. Um, it's one of the great things, I suppose, about him is, is his sheer will and desire to win. And I think that he sees that Wayne Rooney may be as... It's the right time for everyone to kind of go and to sort of go their separate ways rather than with Rooney sort of staying around. It's a great move for um, Wayne Rooney as well because he's he's still technically England captain. I think he he does treasure that. It's something that he kind of he seems to hold quite quite dear to his heart. He, you know, you can't you can't knock him. He does enjoy playing for his country. He's the country's top scorer ever. You know, he's got 119 caps. I think he wants to become the most capped player uh, in in England history and. You couldn't really um, justify his place in the England squad recently because he wasn't playing for Manchester United. He wasn't playing. He wasn't scoring. Uh, I think it's the first. This season was the first season he'd, he'd actually failed to get in at double figures for uh, United. You know, the last time he failed to get in at double figures 
funnily enough, was his last season at Everton. Um, you know, he, 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 so you've got that to look at there. He'll want to lead England down at the, the 2018 World Cup in Russia. And you would get an idea that as part of his contract, he will have some kind of assurances of, of, of playing time. Uh, the other options, I think, for Rooney out there would have been China. Well, if you went to China, it'd be like a, a retirement package, I suppose. Uh, and there, he's essentially writing off any chances of, of being picked for England again, really, with that. Uh, much the same as if he went to the US, I think. Um, and then none of the none of the elite clubs out there would have been, I think, willing to have, to have met anywhere near his, his, his wage demand. You know, you look at it. You know, Barcelona's not going to want him. Real Madrid aren't going to want. Aren't going to look at him there. Uh, Italy just don't pay that that level of wage. Usually, the only clubs that you've got there are Bayern Munich. Again, they're they're, they're not going to be interested in, in, a, in a player who's who's seemed to be on a bit of a steep decline in the past couple of years. You throw a PSG out there. He's not as he's not an attractive as enough to sell for somebody like PSG to get in. Uh, whereas Everton are getting. A player that you know that they help nurture and they help grow, and you know they got. It's easy to sort of say, well, yeah, he deserved them, but you know he, he left for a big amount of money. Everton, Everton did quite well out of it, uh, and you know he's had a hell of a career at Manchester United. He's played, you know, he's their top scorer ever. I think he's played over five hundred and fifty odd games. I think he's played, which is an incredible amount. Um, there's arguments, I think, to say that some United fans. He seems to divide opinion. I think. At, United from the from an outsider's perspective, obviously, you know the people um, who listen to it with Manchester United fans who may say actually they don't. That's just a um, it's an opinion that people on the outside of it have. But he does seem to divide opinion in the sense that he has um, made motions to leave a couple of times and had to be persuaded by big, uh, huge contracts, uh, which will always persuade everybody. But then again, you know that happens to a lot of players. So I think it would be unfair to do that. And there's a lot of debate about. Whether or not he should be considered to be a Manchester United legend, um, and not Manchester United fans so I can't really uh, comment on on whether or not he should be perceived as a, a legend of that club. Um, you know, I think there's a difference in distinction between a legend and a hero. For instance, I mean, there's, there's players I think that are considered to be legends at, at Liverpool that I wouldn't wouldn't count as being as being legends. Um, they're more sort of fan favourites or heroes. And I, I think that Rooney's. He's a player I think United fans are United have appreciated, but have never really have never taken to in the same way as they did to somebody like a a Cantona or you could even stay a I think you could even stay a Ronaldo to be honest. Um but you can't argue with what he's achieved there and what you know he's helped do for United. He's one of the things his biggest um, his biggest failings as a footballer, aside from the fact that he does have trouble um, keeping himself in certain levels of fitness, uh, one of his biggest failings as a footballer is he he tried to do a little bit too much in the sense of he was a little bit selfless as, as a player in terms of right. Well, I want to you know I'll play you want to play the right, play the right, play the left. You know, playing. As a forward, it'll be interesting to see where Everton actually see him because um, he sees he, he seems to have seen himself and seems to have seen the idea that um, as he's got older, he, he could drop back into being a midfield player. Um, I think the idea, to be honest, of, of where Rooney really been a, um, a, a a quality for a top 
six with pretensions to being a, a top four club uh, midfielder is is frankly um, verging on preposterous. Really, you know, he's thirty two. He's always played as a forward, um, be it a wide forward or a central striker or a supporting striker. But to then drop back into either um, a central midfield role uh, or a defensive midfield role, it's he doesn't have that many years of reading the game. If you don't have that many years of reading the game, you've got to have some kind of energy within the centre of the pitch to kind of to compensate for that lack of, uh, I suppose, vision and uh, game intelligence that you develop over a career. He's played the majority of uh, the game uh, looking back towards the game and looking forwards, whereas it's it's much easier, I think, for a midfielder who has been attacking midfielder to drop back into central midfield or a central midfielder to drop back into defensive midfield. You can drop back one position. You can't drop effectively back two or three positions. It just doesn't it just doesn't work like that really. It's it, it seems to be he'll get found out quite a lot. And also as well, he is a good passer of the ball. He's not a fantastic passer of the ball. He been able to play a long pass is one thing, been able to play an effective long pass is is a very, very different thing. So he could maybe do it at an Everton, but again, it all depends on where Everton are looking to, to kind of switch up. And I think the game at the moment, as it stands, is, is all based around energy and press and quick thinking football. I think maybe that'll, that'll go beyond him. Uh, so it will be interesting to see where he, he fits into uh, this new uh, Everton lineup that they seem to be um, putting together Ronald Koeman's been very active in the transfer market you know bringing Jordan Pickford for 30 million from Sunderland um, I said it's always a risk buying a, a young goalkeeper uh, you know it's Pickford's looked very good um, you know don't, don't get me wrong on that Pickford looked very good last season but when you're facing well, when you're playing for the, the team who finishes bottom and you're facing the most shots of any team it, it, it's it's easy to get your save percentage up. Um, it's whether or not you can adapt to the concentration levels that's needed when you're playing for a club where you're not having 20 shots a game, like you're having maybe six or seven. Um, for instance, last time Sunderland went down, we took Simon Mignolet off them. Uh, Liverpool did. And one of the things I think that, that's, that's troubled Mignolet ever since he came to Liverpool is concentration. And, you know, there was statistics going around that often when there'll be periods, little periods of time where Mignolet will concede eight goals out of nine shots in four games and it's it's that concentration levels. It's saying that Mingley had a very good season last season, there's no getting away from it. I think out of the top six clubs, you know, he was one of the, the sort of standout goalkeepers and you have a lot of people who will scoff at that but if you actually look at he had a couple of mistakes, but goalkeepers make mistakes. That's just the nature of the position. It's, it's unfortunate when they're making three or four amazing saves in a game. If they had a good game, when they make one mistake in one game, it's they're prone to errors. So there is that. Mingley has been prone to errors, but he's still only 28, which is quite young for a keeper. Um, so Jordan Pitford there, that's risky. Um, Davy Klassen is a good player, a very good player for Ajax. Again, 23 million seems steep, but into, in this season's market, is is actually... It's actually fairly reasonable for a player, you know, of, of his sort of calibre and his sort of standing uh, within the game. And you know, coming from that Ajax school, you know, you know that he's going to be technically good. Um, there's always a risk with these players whether or not they can adapt. But I think midfielders tend to adapt a little bit better than strikers because it's it, being able to see those passes is something that transfers. Um, it's often when you get a player 
like who will bang in 40 goals, for instance, in the uh, Eredivisie and then come to the Premier League and people wonder why he, he can't pass seven. Um, but then there's been players who played very well in the Bundesliga, uh, Bundesliga uh, the Eredivisie and then come to the Premier League and have been huge successes. Uh, Van Nistelrooy being one of them, or Van Persie. Um, Dirk Hagey wasn't prolific for Liverpool in terms of goals, but he's got a lot of important goals. Um, so it, it, it can work, you know, but for every one of those, there's a Bruno Alves or Matteo Kesman and people like that. So it'd be, be interesting to see how, how happens there. Um, Sandro Ramirez coming from Malaga, but also Michael Keane coming from Burnley for 30 million. Uh, a player with Mike let go only a few years ago for 3 million, uh, moved to 30 million. It's, it's insane that a player with such low experience levels as a defender can, can go for 30 million but then again we did have last season John Stones left Everton for 50 million and proved to be not really I think I personally think that John Stones is a player who everyone thinks he's one type of player but he might actually be another type of player and then of course you're adding Wayne Rooney into that for a free transfer so yeah, Koeman's getting his business done early he's making a very big statement of intent and the great thing about getting his business done early is you're getting it pre-season uh, Everton are going to be interesting to watch next season whether it all knits together or not is a different matter but they're certainly they're certainly making their intentions known apparently they've got uh, a bid now accepted for Gilby Sigurdsson um, around the sort of 30 to 35 million mark so you've got that as well uh, it's going to be interesting to see a uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Wayne Rooney in the same team together. Uh, that could be quite interesting on who takes free kicks um, with Rooney. Thinking he's a very good free kick taker, but the actual reality is, I think he's he's, he's only scored a handful in his career, whereas Gilfie Sigurdsson is, is a dead ball specialist. He's, he's fantastic. He's one of the best strikers of all, I think, in, in, funnily enough, in world football. Um, but yeah, that, that'll be an interesting transfer. And it'll be... It'll be intriguing to see what's going to happen there. Uh, much in the same way as it's going to be intriguing to see how um, Lukaku fits into the, the, the mix at Manchester United. Uh, I wasn't quite the blue as such, but I think everyone assumed very much that um, that Lukaku would be going to, to Chelsea and be going back there. And I think even Chelsea seemed to assume that with uh, Manchester United's tensions first being uh, Antoine Griezmann and then obviously that just didn't happen. I think partially fueled by the fact that uh, Griezmann... Maybe just didn't, you know. Maybe just didn't fancy England. Uh, maybe that seems to be a, a suggestion there. There's also the factor into that the fact that Atletico Madrid can't actually sign players or register players until January because of the transfer ban that they've got there, which also saw their uh, deal for Alexander Lacazette fall through, which I'll come to later on because he's now taken up another deal. Um, so it seems to be that, and then they moved on to Morata. The Morata deal seemed to be difficult to get over the line, um, and then out of the blue, they announced that essentially they've agreed a fee with Everton um, for Romelu Lukaku you know, to join Manchester United. Uh, makes perfect sense, I suppose, for, for, for Lukaku. He does, although uh, he has actually been uh, discarded twice previously by Mourinho, but when he was a lot younger and a little bit more raw um, than he is now. So I think. People throwing that allegation out there, I think it's you've got to be a little bit fairer with that. Um, it was a number of years ago, and he's now he's firmly established as a a recognised Premier League goal scorer. You know, in the past couple of seasons for Everton, you know, in four years at Everton, he's he's got fifty odd, sixty, nearly seventy goals for them. Um, three seasons running, uh, he's he's 
been consistent in getting 20 goals, 20, 25 and 26 last season. The strong numbers, I think the other numbers that you need to look at is that in his um, the past so five years in the Premier League, uh, he, he's missed only a handful of games and that's that's a key thing. I think the, the team's looking at, um, especially Manchester United, looking at they had injury worries with um, Ibrahimovic, but you're going to get that when you sign a player of that, of that age. Um, Lukaku's 24 and has played over 300 games in his career, which is which is impressive for a player who's had a couple of loan spells thrown in there as well. Um, so, yeah, he's he's consistent in the amount of games he plays. He's also consistent in the amount of goals he he scores. Um, prolific last season. Uh, also, as well, he makes sense in that that Manchester United team. He's very much a, a front man. If if Mourinho wants to wants to go on and hit the big man, which he's perfectly entitled to do, then he can do that. Lukaku can hold the ball up. Uh, he's good in the air, but he can also fight on his own. He'd also work well with a partner. Big, strong lad, quick, not phenomenally quick, but quick enough to get there. I think it's uh, worryingly. Uh, it makes more sense. I think I can, I can see where a player like Lukaku fits in at United. I couldn't see where a player like Morata fit in uh, at United. In in fact, from watching, not watched that much of Morata, but I've always found that he, he seems to be a striker that hasn't quite found his place. He's almost a little bit like a Spanish version of Harry Kane but not quite at the level of, of, of Harry Kane. I think it's... I'd like to know what he can do. Um, you know, Lukaku's big thing is he's, you know, a clinical finisher and he's he's a, an impressive physical specimen. He's, he's, his power uh, in terms of his physical power and his running power rather than his running speed are what make him a great player, I suppose. The reason why Chelsea signed him was to replace Drogba, and I think that that's what he brings to a game. You know, Drogba was never the quickest, but he had a physical power in his run that uh, Lukaku has. He's very hard to shake off the ball, and if he gets within the 18-yard box, he usually is going to at least get off a shot. And bringing that into United, I think, will be will, will be very good for them. It's, it's, it's a great buy. Uh it's it's what happens around him, you know. United still need to, I think, definitely start out the back. Uh, what's going on in in defence? Lindelof is a, could be a very good signing. Uh, Eric Bailey had a very good first season when he played. Um, so is that going to be the starting partnership there? It's what they do at right back and left back. In saying that, Valencia looks like a very accomplished right back. Uh, he settled in there quite well. I think you know the argument suggests he was one of the strongest right backs of last season. Is 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 quite valid. Um, left back, quite a bit of chopping and changing around there. I don't think there's a settled left back there. It's, it's clear that Marine doesn't fancy uh, Luke Shaw. Uh, Matteo Damiani appears might be going heading out um, to sort of ease up funds, and it just makes sense if they if he if he leaves possibly to Juventus or somebody. Um, you know, uh, Daily Blint can play there. I've always think Daily Blint is a, one of those underrated footballers, one of those decent utility players that you need at a club uh, who can fill a few roles, much like um, I suppose Liverpool have with, with James Milner who's a player who can play four or five positions very well, but non uh, excellently, I suppose that would be the best way to describe it. Uh, it's, I think, a lot there's been a few sort of questions raised on how I straight from this deal, or I think more Lukaku's contact, conduct um, during it, you know, he's He's very much made it known that he wanted to leave Everton and he wanted to move on to a bigger club and then he's very much made it known that 
since you know that he came out a, a bit of an accepted, he's essentially acted like he's already a United player, which is a little bit a little bit disrespectful to a club that spent twenty eight million on him. Uh, you know, posting Snapchat or Instagram, whatever it was, pictures, videos of yourself training is is fine when you're doing it training in LA where Manchester United are flying to today with Paul Pogba is a little bit a little bit on the nose and maybe would have been a bit of an idea to have waited a little bit, <laughs> waited a couple of days. But hey ho, this is this is the modern game we live in and you know you can't really knock it. It's at least we're getting these little insights into the, the obscene um, amount of work these guys do. It's it's insane. So yeah, the, I think personal opinion, I think you know United have got a really a really good player there who suits their style of play, suits their the way that Mourinho plays as well, I think. Um I think he suits that. Uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun seeing seeing how that, that plays out. Uh, another main striker going who does he suit uh, Arsenal's uh, where Arsenal play is uh, Alexander Lacazette. Arsenal have broken their uh, record transfer fee, spending fifty-two million on the twenty-six-year-old uh, Frenchman. Uh, Alexander Lacazette has played for Lyon for the past few years. Well, he says his entire career actually he's played for Lyon, uh, and it's been quite prolific. You know, twenty-eight goals in thirty games in. Uh, League one in the last season, um, three seasons running, he's, he's exceeded twenty goals. He's you know just off been a one in two goal scorer across his career, but I suppose you're including his, his younger days. So I think he's a he's easily a one in two player uh, over the past four, five, six years. Uh, I think a lot of um, major sort of criticisms of his is he does have a tendency to go a little bit missing in games. He He's very good at what he does, but he's not going to offer you much else. Which, if you're a right-back, left-back, centre-back, centre-midfielder or attacking midfielder or a winger, is a fair criticism. But I think if you're a, an out-and-out striker, I think you can kind of... You can get by on in certain teams, if certain teams play certain ways, on literally just putting the round thing in the net. <laughs> it's not a criticism. It's a criticism I think a lot of players would, would would enjoy being thrown at them in the sense of, well, strikers, that's what they're paid to do, that's what they're there to do. And if if Alexander Lacazette gets 25 goals next season for Arsenal, then, you know, he's, he'll prove he'll prove his worth, certainly. The other, I think, the, the thing that's... Um, Maybe taking the sheen off it a little bit, I suppose, is that it seems to be this is the move that facilitates Alexis Sanchez moving elsewhere. The elsewhere is is, is the key conundrum there, whether or not um, it is Bayern Munich or whether or not it is Manchester City is is another one there. It's if if or if he stays at Arsenal, but let's let's say for instance that he is going to leave. There you've got the conundrum of do Arsenal want to sell to a, a rival in Manchester City where they'd probably get more money for him or do they want to sell to somebody who wouldn't be a direct rival and they could kind of be a little bit out of sight, out of mind and sell him to Bayern Munich but get a reduced fee. Do Arsenal need the money? Well, no, no, no Premier League team really needs money. It's obscenely the amount that they get. I think Sunderland got more for going down this season than um, Chelsea got two seasons ago for winning the title so and considerably more. So it's Premier League teams don't need money, and I think a lot of clubs are kind of becoming wise to that. It's why, for instance, um, 
Juan Cuadrado um, signed for Juventus for 17 million uh, after having a very good couple of seasons on loan there then to go for 17 million seems insane when you've got somebody like for instance a, a Michael Keane there uh, going for 30 million or Mo Salah joining uh, Liverpool for 34 rising to 36 million not seeing these players out worth it but Premier League teams are having to now just essentially pay a premium to actually bring to bring players in um, because everybody knows that they, they have more money. So if you sign to a Premier League club, you can probably add whatever the, whatever the fee is and add 20%, and there you go. You've got a, essentially like a, almost like a Premier League tax um, to go in there. It, it's almost in a similar way as Barcelona have, almost like the Barcelona tax. So if Barcelona are buying a player off you, they'll pay 10, 15 million less than what he's worth because, hey, who doesn't want to play for Barcelona? It's worked for them numerous times over the years. So... It does seem like that's kind of what's what's happening uh, around there with that. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, Rudiger. Uh, Anton Rudiger looks like he's going to Chelsea. Um, apparently medical schedule. The uh, Roma player, uh, German international. Very good player. I think it's more to bolster the squad rather than come in as a, an assured central defender. You know, they've got... David Luiz had a fantastic uh, return season. Uh, Gary Cale is is either very dependable or very scatty. I think that is the player that, that could be most worried. Uh, but they did need players to come in for central defence. You know, Nathan Ake has gone to Bournemouth for £20 million, which is, again, an insane fee. Um, and then also John Terry's left and went to Aston Villa and there was that incredibly strange, bizarre and cringeworthy um, announcement that they made. If if you've not seen this, uh, listeners, then please uh, pause and Google John Terry Aston Villa announcement. It was done as a, a WhatsApp chat video thing, and it's oh, it's horrendous. Uh, why not try it? Um, Google Wayne Rooney Wild for, uh, and you'll you'll have a, a good laugh there. It's possibly the the best thing he did whilst at Manchester United. Um, it's it's quite something if you've not seen it before. Uh, so yeah, they've been kind of the big transfers that have happened uh, while well, in the past couple of weeks since I've recorded. And see, the transfer window is only sort of nine days open. Uh, I think other sort of transfers going uh, around is yeah, some big, big movers. Uh, Huddersfield seem to be bringing a lot of players, but most of the players that you've not really heard of them probably won't do much. Leicester have brought in Vincente Abora and Harry Maguire from Hull of Barros. I was from. Um, was from Seville. Um, I see still not still not making these uh, purchases. Um, Newcastle brought in a couple of players, but no one of them know how to speak of. Oh, West Brom signed Chia Rodriguez from Southampton for 15 million. I think that's a that's a steady buying. Darren Fletcher has left uh, West Brom to join Stoke City. Um, so there's there's not a lot really happening at the moment. It seems to be. Everyone's waiting for this big transfer to happen. Once this big transfer happens, that'll kind of kick the get the ball rolling and get everything sort of moving in the what's perceived to be the right kind of direction. Uh, the I suppose the transfer, the seventy-five million transfer of uh, of um, Lukaku to Manchester United, I think that'll it'll kick into gear certain certain transfer activities. It could be the big one, the catalyst that gets everything kind of moving. I think now the clubs are back from pre-season training also. It gives that impetus for clubs to actually write shit. We need to this one needs to do it. And yes, well, I thought that player might do this, and it's it also gives other players, the players who might want moves away, it gives them a chance to say, look, 
my agents told me X club's interested and I'd like to I'd like to go. Um Liverpool's still dragging their heels a little bit, my club. Um you know, I don't think, I still think Virgil van Dijk will end up at Liverpool. Um Naby Keita it seems like they don't want to sell. Fair enough, they don't want to sell. Um, do we keep on testing that what those waters, or do we move on to to other other players? Uh, it's not a position we actually need to fill that that badly. I'm I'm not worried as a Liverpool fan by the the lack of activity we brought in Mo Salah. Um, you know we will bring in numbers. That's what we need. Um, and I I have no doubt that it'll happen. Um, it's. I think because there was such a there was no summer competition uh, this year, it seemed to be that all there's been talk about is transfers, but that's what has not been open that long. Uh, most big transfers don't actually happen until sort of late July, early August, anyhow. Um, just because Premier League clubs are back in training doesn't mean that everyone's back in training. A lot of the the other nations don't go back until next week, the week after. So um, the ball obviously start rolling a little bit more after that. There. Um, so that was a quick kind of transfer roundup to see what's happening there. I think there's not a lot of other names being kind of thrown around really um, in terms of for, for who could be joining who. I think that the business will get done as it gets done. Um, the days of, of us hearing about a transfer um, just happening out of the blue, I think, are gone. Uh, these these things build up and clubs. Um, are completely complicit in this because what they have to do nowadays is they make a lot of money uh, out of their their social media profiles etc and getting their name out there so if they're linked to several players it, it helps them and it helps build their profile um, it gets people following people etc and it's amazing that news segments now are, are being filled with things like um, X player likes Y players um, Instagram posts so if um, Junior Wijnaldum likes the Instagram post of Virgil van Dijk. It's all up to you and Alden liking Virgil van Dijk's post. This is something we don't know. Well, no, they're, they're just friends. They both play for Holland together, etc. And, you know, there's, there's, there's things like that. Or you have the Pogba and um, and Lukaku thing. They share an agent. Therefore, there you go. Why wouldn't they be um, be friends? And, you know, they don't exactly live uh, a million miles away from each other. So there's that to consider as well. Um, so I also mentioned that we're going to look at the, some of these prospective rule changes a big one well, not rule changes they're, they're discussions about the possibility of exploring ideas these um, they're not necessarily all to make sense it's just very much a should we discuss this shouldn't we at least um, speak about the possibility of this and you know if we get to it and we decide to discuss it and we realise that actually this is fucking stupid then we won't do it and a lot of the time that's what happens uh, but then occasionally you get things uh, do come out of it for instance um, for since football became, um, there's always been the thing of you when you take a, uh, a kick off, the ball has to travel backwards, it has to travel backwards, and you can't encroach upon the center circle. Well, that was changed recently so that you can actually kick it directly back from there. Um, one of the things that's actually been considered uh, is a, a 30 minute half. Um, based on the idea is that as it stands at the moment, a game is 90 minutes, 45 minutes each way, but the actual amount of actual physical game time that you actually get is often um, somewhere between 52 and 62 minutes because the ball's out of play so much. So the idea is there, and it's, it has become, um, I don't know, in terms of um, 
time wasting it's, it's always been a big a bit of thing in football but it's become a little bit more prevalent over recent years where people are taking longer to make substitutions people are taking longer to um to take goal kicks etc uh, and it's all about taking away those incremental seconds so if you can take away five seconds with every throw in and five seconds with every goal kick and 20 seconds with every um, substitution you've got a thing that only takes a second to score a goal if you can take out eight minutes out of a game <laughs> then there you go there's straight away there's what five thousand seconds where you can't score a goal so there's, there's always that and teams are always using trying to look for ways to get those those little fractions of 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 headway above everybody else. Some teams get criticised for it, some teams get lauded for it. I suppose it all depends on which way you're looking at it. Time wasting has always been something that, that's, that's bugged me. And Liverpool got worse for it under, under Klopp. Um, Mourinho is a big advocate of time wasting. You know, he's, his teams have done it for years and there is it's frustrating when it's been done to you, but when you're doing it, you can kind of absolutely see why. So it, it, it's one of those, it's the was it or wasn't it a penalty thing. If you're the team who appealed for the penalty, of course it was a penalty. If you're the team who is at the other end of the penalty, then of course you're saying it's not a penalty. It's one of those. It's, it's a, it depends on whose glasses you've got on. So I remember years ago, um, when Italian 90 started, they actually used to run uh, an in-play clock on there. So you could actually see uh, how much time the ball actually spent in play. And, uh, no, Italian 90, Football Italian, it was on Channel 4, sorry. Um, and I remember becoming a little bit fascinated by it then because I, I'd never thought about it. And I always just thought that football games were 45 minutes each half. And then I became kind of fascinated by this idea, well, actually, they're not the 45 minutes each half, but the actual time you actually get the ball, it was sometimes in a half, sort of, 25, 76 minutes. So it, it, it's it's incredible when you think about it that way. So the idea is to have two 30-minute halves where the ball, where the uh, watch is actually stopped anytime the ball goes out of play. So you play exactly 30 minutes of actual in-play football, giving you around even 60 minutes. Um, personally, I think it's a, it's, it's a bad idea. Um, footballers, uh, it survives and has become the most popular sport in the world because of the certain imperfections to it and because it, um, it develops talking points. I think when you take away everything that could develop a talking point uh, and you essentially sterilise the ability to make mistakes or the ability to frustrate or play with the fabric of the actual game, then what you're doing is you're making something less entertaining by the virtue of that. Um, because a lot of football um, and what makes it so enthralling to people isn't necessarily as much as what happens on the on the pitch. People will spend infinitely more time talking about football, talking about tactics, and talking about transfers, and talking about decisions, and talking about lack of understanding, etc. And all of these things so much more than they will actually watching the game. Um, you can see it nowadays where you'll see that people will be watching a game and tweeting throughout. Personally, and I used to do it myself. Personally, now I, I operate a system where if I'm watching I'm watching a Manchester United versus Chelsea game, I'll, I'll happily tweet or chat or chat my phone throughout. But if I'm watching my team play or a game that I'm invested in um, quite deeply, I, I will fall aside and I won't look at it till, until half-time. 
um, because I was missing the experience of actually watching watching the game. And you know, when you're commenting on it, you're actually you're actually looking at something, and you comment on it, and you're missing something. And you're going back and you're rewatching it, so you're not watching it in, with the right eye, the right frame of mind. There's this sort of there's always there's always three ways, three or four ways you can watch a game. Watching a game in the stadium is very different to watching it on TV, and watching it back on TV is very different to watching it live on TV. Watching a game when you know the score is very different to watching a game when you're you watch it live and you're unaware of the outcome of the game. There's different emotions, there's different responses that you have. And, you know, if you know the score, it's it, it's always this the moment they score, whereas is this what we could score? A very different kind of viewpoints. Um, other um, other bits that, that have been sort of discussed is um, the idea of passing to yourself for even called a goal kick. Uh, so the idea there is that if a player is fouled and a whistle is blown, he doesn't have to stop, place the ball, and then pass it. He can stop, and then he can continue his his run. Um, I can see the logic behind it. I can see the idea behind it. It's to help speed up the attacking play. The trouble is, is it's already hard for referees to work in the conditions they're working in. I think this just makes it even harder for the poor guys because you will have players... It's whether or not they allow to have the ball still rolling. It's whether or not the whistle's gone, the other team ready. It just seems like a recipe for more players to crowd around referees. What we need to do is stop players crowding around referees. I still, still thoroughly maintain that um, before every game, uh, the referees speak to the captains, and a lot of the time they do speak to captains and say, "I will only speak to you and you." So each captain from each team, and I will only speak to you about any incidents. If the if it's involving another player, I'll have them there, and you can ask me questions. But you crowd around me, and you will get booked. And the first referee, where players crowd around him, pulls out his card and goes one, two, three, four, five, six bookings. And then the next time it happens, someone gets sent off for it. It'll quickly stop it. The reason why it hasn't stopped yet is because players do not get punished for it. It's as simple as that. Start punishing players for it. They start missing games. They start getting fines. The fans start getting on their backs. It, it will stop it. It just will. It's not something that generates discussions. It's not something that generates interest. I think it's something that almost all fans dislike. So there you go, nip it in the bud by doing something about it. Um, what else we got? Uh, allowing goal kick to be taken even if the ball is moving. Why? Just keep it stationary. It keeps it simple. Don't see why it needs to be moving. Uh, you can get more traction on the ball. If it's moving, uh, because you've already got the momentum uh, there, so it is simple physics, I suppose. Um, but no, there's nothing wrong with goal kicks. Just keep them off the fucking hand. <laughs> um, clearer more defi- uh, a clearer and more concise uh, definition of handball. Absolutely, happen. We need to define what is handball. It needs to stop being taken so literally. Uh, the idea of ball to hand um, is gone. Nobody, nobody understands the handball rule, um, and. They get clear to big decisions. I think it needs to be made more clearer to the players uh, and to referees, to managers, to pundits, to commentators, everybody. Um, referee can award a goal if the player stops a, bo- a goal being scored by handling the ball close to the line. <coughs> no, give a penalty. Again, it's another thing. It's annoying. Uh, it shouldn't happen. And it is, it's, it's very frustrating when it happens, but it's a rule of the game. You know, it's, it's where do you consider being close to the line? Is it within the six-yard box? Well, what was a player behind it? Was it going in? You know, as it stands, the rule is there. It's annoying. The players should get a red card and the other team should get a penalty if they miss the penalty. Then that's it. Players miss penalties. That's the punishment. They've still lost a the player. 
So there's that there. Um, referees can only blow for half a full half time and full time when the ball is out of play. Um, yes and no. Uh, I can see the logic behind it, but have you ever watched Barcelona play? Um, they could quite easily knock a ball around um, for 10-15 minutes without the other team getting it, just waiting, waiting and waiting for that one opportunity. Where do you call a limit on it? You know, it's unlikely, it's incredibly unlikely. This isn't FIFA world, this is the actual world we've just spoke about, the ball going out of play so often. Uh, it's unlikely that the ball's not going to go out of play within like a five-minute period, but it's not outside of the realms of possibility. Uh, and there's going to be a point where you'll have a game where there's no injuries and there's only a few substitutions and time should be three minutes and you'll have 12 minutes and a big team will win and a small team will lose and there'll be uproar about it. So just just keep it as it is. Maybe take away the idea that at half-time you can blow the whistle when a team's got a corner, for instance. Don't have that. It should always be when the ball is in what is considered a neutral play area. So it can't be 30 yards from either goal unless it's in the possession of the team where it's their goal within 30 yards. So there you go. Just make it that. There you go. Problem fucking solved. Um, the penalty kick cannot... A penalty kick is either scored or missed, saved, and the players cannot follow up to score. I do that is encroaching. It's happening a lot more. So, as it stands, the current rule is, if, uh, if you're a player and you take a penalty and you shoot and it hits the post, technically you can't then... Or one of you, you can't then knock it back in. One of the members of your team can, but you can't. The ball only becomes active again to the penalty taker once another player has touched the ball. So there is that. It's one of those strange little quirk rules. Uh, like um, if you're behind the goalkeeper and you make a pass, ten leaves offside. Although I think that rule's actually been defunct now. I think that rule's actually gone now. Um, but yeah, you just have referees or linesmen. Oh, well. Um, referees assistance just be a bit more strict stop people encroaching uh, or don't have it that you can be on the line have it that you can be that you have to be behind the referee the referee then could then stand a yard away from the edge of the 18 yard box and he can stand and look either side and every player has to be at least level with him or behind him there you go it's quite easily enforced you know it, it's, it's about it's about giving officials the confidence uh, and the support network to uphold these rules. And part of giving them that is giving them a level of accountability, I think. You know, referees, as it stands, especially in the Premier League, they don't have a level of accountability. Um, I think a lot of referees would enjoy the idea that they could come out after a game and state, um, maybe not be asked questions by... um, by broadcasters but maybe have the ability to come out uh, after a game and have a TV screen and state right this is the big decision that you're already talking about here is my perspective here is why I gave this decision not explain whether or not they're right or wrong and not have somebody asking them if they're right or wrong or anything like that just literally have them give the ability to come out and explain their decisions because it's very easy to, to pick at a decision from from all the replays and everything like that on the angles. But what you've got to remember is this game is incredibly quick and they're doing an incredibly hard job in an incredible pressure situation. And yes, they get paid for it. Yes, it isn't like they've been forced to do it. It's not community service or anything like that. But it, it would give an understanding if we could say, right, well, the reason why I gave it is because 
uh, this is how I saw it. This was the information that was given me by my assistant. And this is here and this is here. And then if they want to, they can say, you know, I obviously, yeah, I've watched the replays back and clearly I was incorrect in this, uh, in this. But then it at least gives them the opportunity to go, right, do you know what? I have the ability and I have the positioning now where I can come out and I can state the reasonings why I did this rather than as it stands, they can't. They're kind of like hamstrung by their decisions so they can make a decision but then it can be straight away pushed to one side because it is perceived that that they get, they'd make mistakes and they'd have to come out and justify their mistakes. It's not, it's explaining decisions. Um, and it's maybe not even accountability was the wrong word, but giving them the opportunity to kind of give you a sort of a glimpse into their world. It's been fascinating watching Howard Webb um, give his opinions on it, on how he feels referees saw things, or he can see why it was given, or he can even say, you know, I don't agree with the decision he made, and I can't see why he made it. So that's been quite interesting on that there. Um, and actually, we're going to chat pundits um, on episode three. Um, we're going to chat through some of the... Uh, the better pundits and the the, the not so good pundits, uh, our co-commentators, etc. In the in the next episode, which uh, segues me quite nicely into uh, some of the questions um, that uh, we've received, uh, which is very nice. I love uh, getting questions off you guys. You know, we do for the for both this podcast and for the. Um, the main film podcast we always enjoy the questions uh, that come up uh, so Tom uh, at Mr Tom Ripley um, who frequently uh, sends us questions for the actual film podcast as well so thank you very much for that Tom uh, best signing of the summer so far he's uh, actually a few questions here uh, so I'll cover that one first he's also asked uh, how will Spurs do playing at Wembley and can Rooney still uh, do it in the Premier League or is he past it um, best signing of the summer so far um, ooh, it's a good question that I think um, there's been a few uh, good ones I think for instance I do think Lacazette will be a good signing for, for Arsenal I think he he fits that I think uh, Asmir Begovic I think at uh, Greater Bournemouth is a really good signing you know, he's a solid keeper you know he's a keeper who would I think any top six club would be would be glad to have um, it, you know it's just he was a very competent Understudy, and I think if he was still at Chelsea as their main player, as their main goalkeeper, um, as opposed to Thibaut Courtois, I don't think you'd be having many raised eyebrows and saying that he's not he's not worthy of that. Um, I also think Matthew Ryan at Brighton's a good a good purchase, the um, New Zealand goalkeeper. Um, but I still think of actual properly fully done deals. Um, I think Mohamed Salah is a fantastic signing for, for Liverpool. Um, but I think I'm going to go Lukaku for United. I think it's a perfect sign for them. He's, he feels like the right kind of striker. It's, it is. It's a dropper for Mark too. Um, and, you know, a dropper worked very well for, for Chelsea. And, you know, he worked very well in that Mourinho team for Chelsea. Um, I do think he'll, he's in an adequate replacement for Ibrahimovic, who played very well, but also he brings a bit more mobility. Um, Everton fans, I know Everton fans, but that's sports he, last season that will always say the same thing, is it, he turns it on when he wants to turn it on. Um, there's less hiding place, I think, at United than there are at, um, at, at Everton, I, I would say there. Um, just because nothing again against Everton. Uh, but... 
with United, you've got the added pressure of playing for Manchester United and you've got a £75 million fee hanging around your neck. You know, United are going to have to play him. He's going to be the fulcrum of their attack. Um, I think a lot of what goes on behind him will be reflective in him. So if Paul Pogba is laying on a plate for him and he's not knocking them in, it isn't going to be Pogba that's getting the the the, the, the marks down. It's going to be it's going to be Lukaku. It's a big move for him. And he's he's certainly got broad enough shoulders to, to carry it off. But I do think that as it stands, I think that's a hell of a sign. It pains me to say it, but I will say that I think United signing Lukaku is so far my signing of the season uh, of the summer. Sorry, so far. Uh, how will Spurs do playing at Wembley? It's a strange one that because they didn't do great playing at Wembley in the, the Champions League. I think it's going to be tough for them. Uh, it's, if it's for a start off, you're not playing the capacity stadium. I think the stadium is actually going to be limited to 60,000, which when you've got an 80,000 seat stadium, that's only two thirds full. Um, it's it's a great place to, to watch football in. Um, I think there's. I always like White Hart Lane as a stadium. It's a very nice stadium. It's quite a close sort of stadium in. Wembley's not, it's quite an open, airy um, stadium and there's a lot there's a lot of light around which might not make that much sense but I think switching from that to to, to, to there will be a bit of a culture shock um, for them and plus you're not playing in your stadium you're playing in a stadium that they're using for a season so they're not going to be able to bed it in as, as their home really it, it's very much going to be um somewhere where they're playing rather than than the home that they're playing in. So that's going to be sort of interesting. It'll be quite tough for them to, to pick up on that. And um, yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough for them. I think they might settle, but I do think it's, it's come at a bad time for them, how good they were and how entertaining they were and how vibrant they were as a team and attacking um, last season they were they, they had a great understanding and it's it's without what you would call a recognised superstar player um, you know where, even when they lost Kane they still played fantastic football they still stuck to their guns so it'll be interesting to see who they bring in but I do think it's it's maybe come at a bad time for them um, you'd you'd like for them to, to, to kick on quite easily with it and to take it on quite easily because they have been they have been a a refreshing change in the mix of the top four um, and it, it's it's good that, that we're going into uh, a Premier League season where conceivably you've got um, what Manchester City Manchester United Arsenal Liverpool Chelsea um, and Tottenham uh, all with, with you know potentials of attempting to, to win it you know yes obviously within that you could say well Arsenal Liverpool, Man United, you know, do they have the the right to kind of class themselves as being teams that can that can win it? They finished sixth, fifth, and fourth, you know. But it, it's it's what's going to make it interesting. And then on the peripheries of that, you know, you've still got teams like a Southampton or a um, or an Everton, and you know, who are wanting to sort of break into that six and try and break into the four really more than that and they're gonna they're gonna sort of say hey, hang on a minute what what about us you know and it's what's gonna make it a much more sort of interesting season um can Ray still at the Premier League or is he past it I think it's a steep decline I think from him uh, can he still make it in the Premier League there's some not great players in the Premier League uh, yeah I think he can still play it in the Premier League it, it's 
it's where he sees himself and where Kuman sees him playing. Is this a Kuman signing? Is it an Everton signing? Is it a vanity project for Rooney? Um, it's it's going to be very. We're going to find out a lot, I think, within the first few kind of pre-season games to see where where he fits into that Everton team, whether or not he's a direct placement as a striker for Lukaku, or whether or not he's seen more as an impact player or a supporting player. It's there. Do I think he'll cut it? Yes. But it also wouldn't surprise me if by January we realised that his legs have gone and that, no, he cannot cut it. Um as a Premier League player anymore so I think there is also the possibility of of, of that being the case um, for sure uh, and we do have I think another question uh, the Ginger Prince TGP 73 has probably enjoyed me having to talk about Manchester United so much on this and be quite effusive with my praise for them with it um, so yeah uh, really back to it and a good deal I, I, I did sort of discuss that I, again I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier I do actually think it's it is on the surface right now. I think it is a good deal for um, for all as it stands. It could very quickly turn into not been a great deal. I think it's 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 a good deal for Manchester United, which no matter which way they look at it, um, in the terms that they've got the player off their back. I do think that the um, the dealings with Everton um, for bringing in Rooney have helped their cause um, with, with signing Lukaku. I don't think he's been part of the deal, but I think it's given them a position of negotiations and being in a room with them saying, oh, well, why are we discussing this player bringing in? We want to sign this player. I think it's also helped that um, Lukaku's agent is uh, Raiola, um, who has very strong ties to Jorge Mendes, who has very strong ties to Jose Mourinho, who has incredibly strong ties to Manchester United, what with him being their manager. Uh, it's no coincidence that the two big signs that Manchester United have made, all the big signs that Manchester United have made since... Um, since Mourinho turned up, have been represented by Raiola or Mendes uh, agents slash agencies. They are part of the same agency. You could say the same thing a lot of the players he signed last time he was at Chelsea or the players he signed last time he was at Real Madrid all came from the same bit. They shop in the same kind of pool. Uh, is it good for football or not? Not sure. I think agents, the deregulations that FIFA made to agents for how they can operate, I think has had a negative effect on how you can have, for instance, Ruben Neves, the uh, young uh, Porto player, who has just signed for for Wolves um, for nearly uh, twenty million. Well, he, he was linked to a lot of Premier League clubs um, only six eight months ago, and now he's signed for a, a Championship club that, that has very strong ties to to Jorge Mendes. So, mm, I, I, is it good for them? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, Really, yeah, I do think it's a good deal for all involved, to be honest. I think the only people it's not has a possibility of not been a great deal for is is Everton. Um but then again, it's it's not my money, it's not your money. It, it, it's it's no money, it's, it's fantasy money. It's not even real fucking money. Um it's it's obscene. The money that's going into football is essentially to generate more money within football to create more and more and more it's, it's a it's it's essentially a big churning pot of of ridiculousness um which has put a lot of people off the game uh it also drawn a lot of people to the game 
Um, people are attracted to the the fanatic side of it. People, I've I've seen people saying that they that they prefer transfer window than the actual game itself. And I find that frankly mind boggling. But but you know, there's there's whole teams of people who um, do the FIFA Ultimate Team thing and don't actually play games. They just like trading the cards. Well, fucking hell, you know, I couldn't think of anything more fucking dull. But whatever floats your boat. Um, so yeah, that was uh, episode two of uh, Damn You Football. I hope you enjoyed me waffling on about football for uh, near an hour. Uh, if you've any kind of questions or topics you'd like me to um, discuss or chat about or get my opinion on, then feel free to hit me up on Twitter uh, at Dude and the Monkey or at Dude Fars. Uh, also hit up Ian's stuff uh, at Ian Loring. Uh, I hope you still enjoy the film podcast as well. If you listen to both, if you're just listening to the football one, then why not give the film one a, a, a go and see see if you like what we do uh, on the ever-expanding Damn You, uh, the Dude and the Monkey University for the Paying It Forward podcast that we host with our comic book correspondent, Noel Meller, who he comes along there. There'll be a new episode of that in a few weeks um, where we're watching Being There, uh, Last Unicorn, and I I don't remember. Oh, and the Devil Wears Prada, so that should be an eclectic mix. Uh, also, this week's Dude and the Monkey, uh, we're going to be chatting Spider-Man Homecoming, and we do have our comic book correspondent, Noel, on there. They've both seen it. I've not quite yet, but I will have done by the time we record, obviously. We think we're also covering this up, and it comes at night, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Um, so, again, thanks very much for listening, and over and out. Bye. <laughs>